0: This podcast episode was recorded live by Oncology Data Advisor and Kinbey Med at the 2022 ASH Annual Meeting in New Orleans. So welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we're at the ASH Annual Meeting and I'm here with Mani Mohedin. Thank you so much for joining today.
1: The pleasure is mine. Thank Great. you.
0: Um, so I know you have a few abstracts here at the meeting. Um, would you like to tell us about about these and give us a little overview of them?
1: Absolutely. Um, so one of the abstracts that we have here uh, looks at um, the prognostic value of 1114 translocation in patients with multiple myeloma receiving anti-CD38 therapy. So there's been some preclinical work that has shown that patients with 1114 myeloma have lower expression of CD38. So that raises the question, would that, does that translate to CD38 therapy being less effective in these patients? So we leveraged data from a large data set, the Flatiron data set, to look at this question. So we looked at a cohort of relapsed refractory myeloma patients, all of whom were receiving anti-CD38 therapy. And we compared outcomes between those who had 1114 and those who didn't have 1114. Broadly speaking, we saw that outcomes were very similar. Um, And so what you can sort of infer from this is that you know broadly speaking CD38 therapy seems to be effective even in 1114 myeloma and you know the lower CD38 expression th- that you see in those cells doesn't necessarily translate to reduced efficacy. Um, The way we did our analysis, we're actually sort of looking at the prognostic value of translocation 1114 in those patients. Um, And it sure seems that in the relapse refractory setting, 1114 myeloma doesn't, having 1114 doesn't seem to be a negative prognostic factor. Another interesting signal that we saw, and this is super preliminary, and I, you know, might just be statistical noise, is that in 1114 myeloma, amongst those patients receiving you know CD38 therapy, it seemed that having additional high-risk cytogenetics did not adversely impact outcomes. Now, is it that the daratumumab or the isotuximab is, um, is overcoming those high-risk features? I don't know. It's, again, super preliminary, but that was an interesting analysis that we did. This paper will be out soon in Blood Cancer Journal, hopefully over the next week or so. Uh, but that was one interesting analysis that we did. So the second one um, that we did was um, a topic that's very close to my heart and I think about a lot um, was how does PFS correlate to OS? So how does progression pre-survival correlate to overall survival in multiple myeloma trials? Um, And then how is progression pre-survival characterized in myeloma trials? Is it ever reported whether it's a clinical progression or a biochemical progression? I think it's important to know and differentiate between the two. So in this study, Um, which is the most updated and largest surrogacy analysis ever done um, for patients for for multiple myeloma. We basically did a systematic review, identified all randomized trials for multiple myeloma over a 15-year time period, looked at those trials that reported PFS and OS, and then basically did a formal correlation surrogacy analysis for the hazard ratios of PFS and OS. Um, So if looking at the surrogacy aspect of the question, we found out that Overall, if you pool all myeloma trials, and we had like 41 trials, which is a pretty large surrogacy analysis, PFS does not correlate well with OS. And this correlation is especially poor in newly diagnosed myeloma. Now, this is a, you know, it's a complex topic. And I think that we have to acknowledge that the current system has worked, right? Like this current system where people are getting approved, where, you know, drugs are getting approved based on PFS has led to patients with myeloma living longer and having more therapeutic good options. But I think we're at a crossroads now where we're trying to get MRD, measurable residual disease, established as a surrogate for PFS. And that's pretty tricky because when PFS is not a good surrogate for OS, you don't want to link another surrogate to PFS. And I think that's one cautious thing we have to be cautious about Um, because as things get better and better, we shouldn't lower the standard, right? Things are getting better, but you also should keep up the standard for approval so that good drugs enter the market that actually benefit our patients. The other thing we found is that we only found one trial amongst all the trials we looked at that actually clearly demarcated whether a progression event was clinical or biochemical. That has immense uh, prognostic uh, value. So we kind of need to know, right? are these patients on trials, are they progressing clinically or biochemically? Is, it, is whatever agent we're studying alleviating you know, both or, or one and, and how much of, of so? So I think that's another uh, area for improvement that we identified. The last paper that we looked at, um, I guess the last that I'm discussing today, was um, how oncology news websites uh, report oncology news. So this was inspired by uh, speaking to a patient advocate. You know, last year there was a drug in myeloma called milflufen which in a randomized trial worsened overall survival, meaning that it killed more people than the control arm, but it improved progression-free survival, meaning that, you know, the, a duration of remission might have been longer, but people overall lived shorter. So that was a very concerning um, you know, study. And a patient advocate, a, a spouse of a person with myeloma, basically came up to me and said, you know, I've been looking at all of these oncology news websites, and they're reporting this as a positive trial. like They're ignoring the OS thing, and they're like spinning it that, you know, oh, PFS is better. Melfluven is better than, you know, for this cohort of patients, etc. That was very disturbing. So we studied that systematically. We looked at all oncology news reporting that came out of that event, and we found out that almost all of it was positive. That got published in Lancet Heme. Then we wanted to systematically look at OncLive and targeted oncology, right? Because these are two websites that a lot of us follow, get sent to patients, get sent to community doctors. And over a pre-specified time period, we systematically analyzed all content that comes out of those websites. And we basically found out that almost none of the content is critical, never is a conflict of interest reported, right? So there are people, and it's expected that there'll be some conflict of interest, but it's never, ever reported. Um, and um, I think that there's a lot, of, a lot of overgeneralization, a lot of hype, and a lot of spin in the content that's reported. I was, I'm i very glad that I actually met with Anc Life today, and we discussed a way to sort of productively move forward and uh, because you know we have the same goal. We want to like provide good news information to patients and to community doctors and to other academic doctors. So a very productive discussion, and I think hopefully something good will come out of this. Uh, but yeah, that's a small summary of of some of the research that I um, had the pleasure of being a part of at this meeting.
0: It's great. Thank you so much. It's oh. a, two really great presentations and a very interesting study about the um, oncology news. Yeah, as well. the pleasure
1: is mine. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Of
0: course. Um, one other question I would have is. Um, Obviously, Oncology Data Advisor is a smaller news uh, site compared to, like, OncLive or Target Oncology. But would you have any advice for, like, the type of content that we curate or how, just, like, how to improve quality of, of you know, what we Absolutely.
1: We so that's such a good question. Um, and I think that a lot of the the stuff that we studied and the findings that we found are actually generalizable, like, to to all oncology news uh, media websites and I think moving forward like some of the solutions that we discussed and I'm not saying that you I I think you guys are doing a great job but uh, I think one of the things is um, I think it's important to have a balanced perspective and have some sort of critical content Um, so I think that if you know if you look back and all of the content that you've produced is like laudatory and, and and you know just like positive reporting, then I think that there's something that you're missing because, you know, there's a lot of negative trials. There's a lot of trials that are underwhelming. There's a lot of things in oncology that despite our best efforts don't succeed. So I think systematically looking back and seeing how much of your content is universally positive versus negative would be a good start. We spoke about having a bunch of uh, advisors that are independent uh, who can help, like make sure that your content is critically rigorous? Um, so you know, having some sort of like a panel that you you can sort of refer to, who can like quickly look over your articles and make sure that it's critical enough. Reporting conflicts of interest is obviously optional for for you all. Like you're not mandated by the government, but if um, I, I think it's it, it would add to the rigor of the content if you had to report conflict of interest of the interviewees who uh, who who you're interviewing. Um, and then you know, in the article that you actually uh, it gets published online, having a direct uh, link to the actual like data you're citing, so don't make it difficult for the people to find that article. Because we be found that sometimes it's not reported. Like you have to like you know spend a lot of time to get the source article. And then um, whenever possible, like if you're talking about risk reduction, include like absolute risk reduction and relative risk reduction as well, right? So because it can be you know you can spin a uh, three week benefit of progression-free survival into, you know, 30% improvement, right? That's what one study where we looked at Enclave, uh, how OncLive reported, and that's what they did. So trying to sort of add context and, um know, it's difficult, um, but these are some some early steps that, that can be taken to help improve the content.
0: That's super helpful. Thank you. We're always looking for ways to improve yeah, our content. Yeah, pleasure so is absolutely that helps. mine. Yeah. <laughs> great. Well, thanks so much for stopping by today and talking. The it was pleasure great mine. With Thank you. you
1: again. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast, recorded live at the 2022 ASH annual meeting by Oncology Data Advisor and Convey Med. For more expert perspectives on the latest in cancer research and treatment, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at ConveyMed.io and OncData.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for news, exclusive interviews, and more.